Good morning, everybody. Um, just on that, I want to personally invite you to um, read through the Bible this year. And, and uh, we were talking, I was talking with someone, and it's not so much that we just rotely go through the Bible and we say, ha, I knocked it out, therefore I'm somebody. That's not the idea at all, the spirit or heart of it. The idea is that we would spend time, there's something in Scripture called the whole counsel of God. Have you ever heard that term or phrase before? And the idea there is as you read through the Word, that you start to become aware of God's mind and you become aware of His heart and you become aware of His motives and you become aware of what He's thinking and you start to think like Him. And as you think like Him, you start to act like Him. You start to love the things He loves. You start to hate the things He hates. And so it it helps you become like Him. And so one of the ways you become like somebody else is to spend a bunch of time with them, right? Right? And after a while, if you've spent enough time with somebody, you can even mimic their mannerisms, right? You ever see that in a family, how they can do that together? We had a whole weekend of that doing that uh, this last weekend, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, it's the same thing with God. You learn to become like Him. You learn to mimic Him. So I, I want to encourage you, uh, whether you've been successful in the past or not, I know there's a lot of failed attempts at this, right? You got into Leviticus and, you know, nosedived into the tank kind of thing. Uh, but we've had a number of people that uh, have been very successful in finally making it through, and they'll tell you the difference and the change it's made uh, in their life. So take another crack at it. Let God deepen his picture of himself for you, would you? And uh, then secondly, I want to thank Zach Pitts. He's here this morning. Zach, hanging over there, come, getting over a cold. But I just want to thank him for his courage to share his story. Last Sunday with the baptism and everything we had, if you weren't here Uh, You missed a special service. But I just want to say it's that kind of transparency and it's that kind of repentance that fuels God's ability to work among us. And so I really appreciate that and hope God will give us more of that uh, in the years ahead. And as we head into uh, 2020, I think a great theme for the year will be seeking God's face. Right? There's an old phrase, if you seek his hands, you're seeking what he can do for you. If you're seeking his face, you're seeking him for who he is. And the idea for this year would be seeking his face. Not for anything you can get from him, but seeking him just because of who he is and you want to hang out with him and get to know him better. So I want to set that, uh, to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind and strength and to learn to love him like he's loved us. So this morning we're going to continue in several little vignettes Uh, that are in the Gospel of Mark, that come as insights from Jesus. And they're all issues of the heart. You're going to see this this morning. They're all issues of the heart. So that'll help set us up and lead us uh, to communion this morning as we share communion. 2020, is that a strange number for anybody? Hello. Like, wow, how did we get here? But God will take us through. So let's pray, and then we'll look at Mark. Father, thank you for just a tremendous holiday season. I know... Uh, lots of people have talked to me, and I know for our family it was very, very special. Everybody was back, and it was just family, and it was just delightful, and it was rich. And we thank you for that. And as we head into 2020, Lord, we recognize it's going to take faith. That's going to take every bit as much faith in 2020 as it did in 2019, as it did in 18, as it did 40 years ago. Lord, and help us operate by that faith. And may we kick it off well this morning with these pictures that we have that uh, you gave um, John Mark as he was listening to Peter. 
And we seek you for that and ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, we're in uh, Mark chapter 12. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, we'll start with uh, verse 35 this morning. And uh, it starts like this. As Jesus taught in the temple, remember he's in the temple precincts, he's in the court of the Gentiles. Uh, This morning we'll find him in the court of women. Ladies, did you know there was a court of women? At the temple? Well, there is. And, uh, and so he's teaching in the temple. And he says, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Uh, we actually use this verse... Uh, in the Christmas Eve service, if you remember, as part of the predictive prophecy that uh, took place that told about Jesus coming and prophesied about the Messiah. This quote is found in Psalm 110. If you want to look it up, you can go there and see it. Uh, This was written by David. And Jesus now is flipping the tables. And before, remember they were peppering and trying to trap Jesus with questions. And so Jesus now flips the table on them. He starts asking them, questions and um, and he says how is the Messiah David's son if he calls him Lord the answer of course is that the Messiah would be a descendant of David everybody knew that Um, but would in fact be greater than King David so great in fact that David would call him Lord and why would he be called Lord because this person would be the Messiah in the Christmas Eve service we quoted from the song, Mary, Did You Know? Remember that? We were talking about that and said, Mary, did you know when you kiss that little baby, you kiss the face of God? Many of us love that line in that song. Why is this so important? It's important because Jesus was that very person they're talking about. He was the Messiah. Besides that, uh, what's going on here, the people love to see the Pharisees stump. The Pharisees were kind of highfalutin and full of themselves and it was fun to see them get tripped up once in a while. And so the people actually delighted when Jesus kind of messed with the scribes and Pharisees and got them off balance. So there's a couple things going on here all at the same time. Uh, Although in great disfavor with the leaders, uh, Jesus, the common people loved him, right? And so you, you get these reactions in scripture of one group's totally against them, another group's totally for them, and that's how that works. But what the leaders missed, what, what they didn't get, is they totally missed the fact that Jesus is talking here about himself. Okay? They were trying to make it an intellectual thing and wrestling with the finer parts of theology and how this all went, what did King David mean? And Jesus is standing in front of them going, duh, hello, how could David say this? And, they, and it just went right over the top of their heads. Uh, And the reason why is because they didn't think he was legitimate. He wasn't, and so he he couldn't possibly be the answer, and so they weren't able to make that connection. Uh, This promise to King David, by the way, deserves some more attention. Um, So David was the seventh son of Jesse, right? And if you know the number seven in Scripture, that's a number for perfection. It's called God's number. And uh, he was known as a man after God's own heart. And by the way, if you've ever spent any amount of time in the Psalms, 
uh, how he wrote that stuff, I sit and marvel. Like, how did he come up with that? Right? It's so incredible. They are just, and the Psalms are an outstanding declaration of two hearts. Now, God's heart and David's heart connecting. And you can see the interplay and the interchange, and it's, it's an incredible thing. David had all-out trust. And the promises made to David were in line and in sequence with the promises made to Abraham. So they weren't separate from each other. They actually were an and both, not an either or. And so the promises that God made to Abraham were sequenced into the promises that God made to David, which made it that much more important. Uh, The promises for Abraham and his seed ran through the line of David and his seed. All right? And God says of David's sons that he'll never lack for a man on the throne. Second Samuel 7, God speaks to David about establishing his line and establishing his kingdom. You don't have to turn there, but let me put it up on the screen for you. And you can just look. He says, this is a culmination of a whole chapter and a half that God's talking to Abraham. But he says, and your house and your kingdom shall be me, or I'm sorry, David, your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So there's this huge promise that God laid out for David. And David in prayer responds back with incredible gratefulness. Here's what he says. Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this is a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You've spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. Okay? David is saying this. Is this you've been so good to me. Uh, is, that, is this usually the way you deal with people? And, and the sense of it is here, I hardly think so. This is extraordinary. This is over the top. This is pretty amazing. What God is doing is not only for David, but also for mankind. Okay? ESV translates it there for mankind. So the promises of David had to do with uh, God's promises to bring about a Messiah that had to do for all of mankind that was going to play about. And this doesn't, was, wasn't just for David. All right? And uh, it goes on to say this, For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servants, saying, I will build you a house. And therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. All right? David was so astounded he could barely get words out when he realized what God was telling him. Is that from him would come this promised one, this one that would be like Moses, this one that was going to be the Messiah. And he said, man, I, I'm only able to speak because of the incredibly great things you've done or spoken towards me. And he goes on to say this, And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true. You have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Now for us, that's just a bunch of verses that we're reading, right? But for a Jewish person, that wasn't true because there was nobody greater than King David, right? In terms of a governmental kind of person. Moses was probably greater as a prophet, but David was held in high, high esteem. As a matter of fact, they were looking for another one who would be like David that would lead them 
against the Romans. And so David was um, huge in their eyes. And they knew this. They know these verses. This is not done in a vacuum. So Jesus is playing off this dialogue uh, that occurred between God and King David, of which they were well aware of. And he's throwing out the hint. Whose son is he? And why does he call him Lord? Why do you think David would call him Lord? I mean, this is David. And they're like, oh, we don't know, right? Jesus is saying to them, do you realize it's me? Jesus, you realize that it's me. And they, God and David, were talking about me. When he called him Lord, he was talking about me. Do you get that? It went right over their heads. They didn't get it. Okay? But it's there for us to get it. Hindsight's always easier, right? We have the benefit of hindsight. Next we see Jesus then warning the disciples about the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees and what they had done with it. So we go from that to this. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive a greater condemnation. Right? That's not necessarily written for you guys. That's written for us guys up here. Okay? And uh, that's what makes the mantle of a pastor a heavy thing to shoulder because we will be held, those who teach, says James, will be held to a stricter judgment. Right? Yippee. Wow, that's exciting. Come on, 2020. But here we go. So Jesus is pointing out something here that's really important as we come to communion this morning. He's pointing out the difference between him and what he's teaching and the scribes and Pharisees and what they're teaching. And it wasn't necessarily different what they were teaching. What was different is how they lived it out. All right? Remember in the Christmas series, we covered the issue of motive. It isn't what you're doing, but it's why you're doing what you're doing. And we said that behind all of the things that God was doing was the motive of love. That, that God was trying to extend and represent his love for us. Well, what Jesus is pointing out in, in their teaching and stuff that they were doing is that their motive was anything but love. It was the opposite of that. Their motive was greed and manipulating events for the praise and honor of men and for their own self-advancement. Will this get me ahead? Does this help me in my status, so to speak? Um, and all the while, they were taking from the poor instead of helping the poor. Here Jesus uses the terms widows, which often represented the destitute or the poor within that culture. Uh, if you want an extended version of this, we can go to Matthew 23. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 23, because I'm going to paraphrase a bunch of things out of Matthew 23. So just turn there and look. I'll have some of it up on the screen. But Jesus uses, the, in Mark it's a short clip. In Matthew it's a whole chapter where he talks about why you should avoid what they're teaching. And Jesus uses this whole chapter in Matthew 23 to highlight what a despicable, treacherous, and damning, uh, what is tre despicable, treacherous, and damning about their motives and actions. Right? 
So just a brief peek. Let's just gloss through it and, and take a look. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 23 that complements what Mark was saying uh, in his gospel. Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. In other words, they are the authorities. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. One of the deadliest sins of a pastor is to preach to others what they should do when he's not doing unto himself. Okay? That is a, a frightening thing to think about when you stand in the spot where I am. Okay? Uh, people often say, man, you've got an easy job. All you do is work on Sunday. I go, man, I can pray this on you anytime you want. No, 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 right? Um, I don't think so, right? What is Jesus talking about here? What's he highlight? Let's look at the specifics and pull them out and, and have a picture for us that, that's helpful. So Matthew says this, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. In other words, everything they do is calculated for how it comes out and how it looks to others. In other words, will this put me in a good light or will this put me in the best light? Will this uh, help me? Will this advance me? Or will this take away? And so they were very, very keenly um, aware of other people's opinions and the praise and honor of men. Uh, verses 5 through 7, if you look at those verses right there, they like to show off and advance themselves. It wasn't that they were just advancing themselves, but what did it say? They like the best seats at the banquets. They like the best places in town. They like to show up when it was most advantageous for them to show up. They like to dress. They had huge robes and phylacteries and things that, they, that when they walked through, um, there were little bells around the robes that rang so you would knew, knew it was them. And, oh, here comes the Holy One, right? Um, and a lot of times that's one of the things I hated about the idea that God told me to be a head pastor is because I hated the pedestal that comes with it, right? Kind of that, oh, pastor, eh, right? Steve or Mitch said what uh, honor is wonderful, okay? Um, and if I pastor well, fabulous, okay? But pastor, putting it like somehow I live on a different level than you do, it's just not right, okay? We all live on the same level. I just have a specific role and you have a specific role to carry out, and we better do our jobs well. That's how that should work. All right, so they like to show off and advance themselves. Uh, verses 13 through 15, if you look at those, um, they not only don't enter the kingdom themselves, but they don't let others enter into it. One of the astonishing things in the gospel is how they were keeping everybody, trying to keep everybody away from Jesus. Interesting, they were supposed to be the ones that were moving people towards Jesus. Okay? And so, again, uh, in a role, sometimes pastors are the ones that keep people away from the Lord more than, uh, a lot of times when people say, well, I don't want anything to do with the organized church, they're really saying, I don't want anything to do with pastors because they've been abusive and they've, you know, they've been brutal and, and uh, you know, I haven't enjoyed it at all. And so uh, this was one of the condemnations Jesus was really strong on. Matthew, if you look at 16 to 23, they are 22. They swear falsely. If you look at what it's talking about there, um, they, in other words, they pontificate. 
about things that they really don't own themselves. And they make uh, great um, pledges. They make great, uh, I will do this, and then there's no follow-through on it. And so that's something that Jesus was on. Uh, Matthew, if you look at 23 and 24, uh, they major on the minors and minor on the majors. That's how you could actually describe those verses, right? They, they were so careful about these minutest things like uh, how many dill seeds are in and we'll tithe off of dill seeds. And then when it came to the big stuff, they just missed the boat completely. And, and Jesus said, you got it all backwards. You're, you're majoring on the wrong stuff. 25 through 28, this is probably one that's the scariest. They're clean on the outside and filthy on the inside. Outside they look holy. Outside they look spiritual. Outside they look godly. But inside, he says, you're full of greed and corruption. Right? Uh, And that can easily be said of all of us, right? We can be not content. We can be greedy. We can be full of corruption. But look very good on the outside. And just note, that doesn't fool God at all. Okay? If you're here this morning doing that, that is a bad game. Okay? Because God's not fooled. God looks at the heart. We can't, for example, as your pastor this morning, I can't see your heart this morning. You look very nice, by the way. Okay? Dan, you're all trimmed up, looking sharp, right? Look good. That doesn't tell me where your heart is. This week, when we, when we come every Sunday, we pray before the services, and one of the things we tell God is, look, when people show, we don't know who's chosen to obey. We don't know who's chosen to sin this week. We don't know who's had a good week. We don't know who's had a bad week. We don't know um, who's in sorrow, right? Who's really desperate. We don't know who's really doing good. You're the only one that knows. And so we, we need you to look at the heart level. Why? Because we recognize the outside doesn't tell the story. It's really what's going on in the inside of a person that tells the story. And that's why God uh, always starts that way. Larry Crabb wrote a, a famous book called Inside Out. Any of you heard of that book, recognize that title? What was he talking about? God has a tendency to work from the inside first and then work out. Okay? And that's why a lot of times new believers are so outrageous because they've changed on the inside. The out just hasn't figured it out yet. right? And then what happens though is the danger of us getting the outside all cleaned up and then later letting the inside get corrupted again and then we become a bunch of scribes and Pharisees. And so God is, Jesus here is warning about don't be like that. Don't be like them. Let me keep working on the inside. And so in 2020, there may be some things that need to be added. Some things you've told yourself, like maybe you're one of the people God's bumping to read through the Bible. Or maybe there's something you've known you should do that you've been wrestling with for a while and you just haven't had the courage to do it, like forgive someone or go talk to someone for forgiveness or anything like that. There also may be some things in 2020 on the inside that need to go bye-bye. You've known it for a long time. You've wrestled with it, and the Lord's talked to you about it, and, and, but you pet it, right? It's your prized little, and you keep it, and you know it's sin, and you know the Lord's talked to you about it, but you don't know how to live without it, so uh, you just know. If Jesus tells you it's got to go, it's got to go. And if Jesus tells you something needs to be added, it's for a very important reason. 
because it's what builds up the kingdom of God on the inside that matters. The outside will take care of itself. And that's, so he was talking about that. 29 through 36, they were murderers. Now here he's actually talking about things they pulled off and stuff they did. If people, uh, some people became uh, in their way, if they were problems for them, uh, they would get them taken care of, right? They were expedient that way. Now, we may have never physically murdered somebody. You ever murdered somebody in your mind? Right? When we say, I wish you went to hell or I damn you to hell, what are we saying? I, I want to take you out. I want to take you out. Now, we may never say that physically, but we may mean that with everything within our spirit. And if it's in our spirit, then there's a spirit of murder there. And that's why Jesus says, even if you think angry thoughts towards your brother, you're guilty of murder. So God's interested in cleaning the inside of the cup. And they wouldn't let him clean the inside of the cup. Here's the summation of the whole deal. Oops, let's get it up there. Jesus says in the chapter, if you look at verse 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is, by the way, um, this, sets, this is where Jesus set the precedence for James and Peter. Remember, James and Peter, we've uh, spoken on this many times. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We've said that this is the universal principle, that God is opposed to a proud person, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you or lift you up in due time. Notice due time is his time, not our time. And one of the things we have a problem with when we read scripture is we see how God acts, but we forget it took 40 years for him to act. And we get impatient because we only have one life and 40 years is of a huge chunk of it. And if I have to wait 40 years to see God, I'm not going to wait that long. And the Bible tells us that is totally worth doing. To see him work once in your life that way is totally worth the whole thing. Okay? And so God says, what Jesus is pointing out is to be humble. Now, why could Jesus do that? Because he was humble himself. One of the things you get a picture of is that Jesus was not a proud person. He was not full of himself. He was not strutting himself. He wasn't returning fire for fire. But he was desperately trying to get the scribes and Pharisees to turn around and figure out who he was. But they had closed the door on that a long time ago. Okay? And so then the question from this, and talking about letting God clean the inside of the cup instead of the outside of the cup, uh, what would humility look like? And so Jesus goes on and gives us a really beautiful picture. Oops, there we go. Okay. It says this, He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. Right? So if you're thinking about how insignificant a penny is in this day and age and economy... Think about the two small copper coins that made a penny. You can imagine even in that day, it wasn't worth much, right? Okay. This is uh, here uh, up on the screen is a picture of a widow's mite, right? And I have the actual 
widows might hear in a case. Uh, and what this one says here is that this, um, this one, that it's actually, Margaret took the picture so you'd see it on the screen, but it's right here in the box in this case. It says this one was struck around A.D. 0 or 0 A.D. So this one that I'm holding in my hand was actually here before Jesus was which is kind of profound to just hold something like that, right? You go, wow, right? And they've discovered quite a few of these uh, in the area of Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus is again in the temple courts. This time he's in the place that was called the court of the women. There you go, ladies. There's a place for you, right? The court was for both men and women. Could They were both able to enter it, but it was here in this place where the treasury was located. And uh, at the treasury, what they had is like if you thought across the stage here, they would have 13 trumpet-like uh, vessels. And so they would be narrow at the top and wide. Just think of putting a trumpet down on the ground, right, with the horn part down. It would, they would look somewhat like that. And then people would come and deposit their gifts into those trumpets. And that's how the collections were taken. Jesus, being uh, the observer of people that he was, sits down on a bench and watches as people go by and put their gifts into the treasury. And something caught his eye and attention, so much so that he called his disciples over and pointed it out. Here's what the rest of the story says. It says, And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Now when we read this, uh, there's all kinds of things you might have heard preached on this. Jesus, what Jesus is not saying here, all right, let's do what he's not saying first. What he is not saying, he is not saying that big gifts are bad and small gifts are good. All right? And anybody who gives a big gifts is corrupted. That is not what Jesus is saying. Secondly, he's not saying it's bad to have money, right? He said it's bad to have a love of money. There's a difference between the two. One is a stewardship issue. One is an idolatry issue. Number three, he isn't even saying that gifts that others have given were bad or unacceptable. He's simply saying this lady, he pointed her out and said, see that lady? She put more in the offering than everybody else that came through. He says, see that, see that lady over there, that widow? See what she gave? Why was that bigger than the gifts of other people? He says, because they gave out of their abundance. It was their extra, in other words. It did cost them, but it didn't cost them anywhere near what it cost this widow in proportion, their big gifts compared to those two small coins she threw in that came out to the equivalent of a penny. Why would this have resonated with Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? I want to suggest it resonated with him because he was about to do the same thing. Jesus was about to give everything that he had and everything he was in the same way he had just seen this for What did he say about her? She just gave everything she had to live on. Jesus was about to give everything he had to live on in the same way this widow did. 
I'm going to ask the uh, servers of communion if you would uh, begin to help us in service this morning. Thank you so much for doing that. He was about to give us, he was about to give his all for us, and he knew what it would cost, all that he had. In her poverty, if you think about this widow, she was generous. She didn't have much, but what she had, she was generous with. In her widowhood, we know she's a widow. That means she lost her husband. She was existing. In that culture, it was brutal because you had no man to provide. Women couldn't work the way they did in our culture today. And so it was a completely different paradigm that's hard for us to get our heads wrapped around. Thank you, Dave. But in her widowhood, she was trusting. In other words, she was still trusting God in spite of her circumstances. And in her, in her dire circumstances, what did she do? She came to worship. She was still at the temple worshiping. Which tells you something about this lady and it tells you something about why Jesus noticed her. As, again, as we've seen in so many other places in Scripture, the issue is the issue of the heart. It wasn't what people were giving that impressed Jesus. It was why they were giving what they were giving. And she represented an all-out trusting faith in God and gave out of a thankful heart even though she had almost nothing. And I want to suggest, rather than, I think you can feel the guilt trip coming on here, right? You're already bracing. I can see your body language, right? And uh, I, I want to relieve you of that. That's not where this is going. I actually want to take it in a completely different direction of pointing out that even if you don't have much, God sees what you give. You know, if we, somebody threw a penny in the offering box today, we wouldn't think much of that. But if that's all you had, God would notice that. And I want to suggest to you, in the last year, um, we've given a lot of pennies to the Lord. Okay? Um, when you give with a right heart, and when you give with right motives, to honor and glorify Him, to acknowledge Him with our first fruits, God is pleased and His favor rests on us. We don't give to compare or boast or one-up with each other. Uh, we've said many times it isn't that everyone does or can give equal gifts. It's never been about that here. At Norfield, what we've always said is different gifts equal sacrifice. Not what is the person next to you doing, but what has God asked of you. Right? And if you give what God has asked of you, then you have given every bit as much as what other people have given, whether the amounts are different or not. And that's what Jesus was pointing out with this widow. See what she did? In proportion, her sacrifice was greater than the sacrifice of other people at that moment, at that time, at that treasury, when that moment went by and, and Jesus pointed it out. You might be saying to yourself, well, I certainly can't give like so-and-so. You ever thought that? Well, they, they have lots of money. They, they, can, they keep the church going, right? Or you might be saying, I have so little. Um, what possible difference can it make? That's not the issue on the table, right? God didn't ask you what difference can make. He asked you to give. Or you might think, it's not much. Surely God doesn't need it. No, 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 whether I give it or not, right? You ever thought about, well, I'll just keep the tithe. There's some stuff I want, and I'd rather get the stuff I want than what God needs. So, uh, you know, nobody will know, right? 
all of those would be wrong, in case you hadn't got that point. God isn't comparing you to the, the people around you. He's asking you to be faithful in what he has given you. Notice that God was very keenly aware of what the widow gave. In the world's eyes, it was nothing and insignificant. I mean, this little coin, there was just two of them. They, they are not even the size of a penny put together, right? But in God's eyes, it was huge, it was deeply appreciated, and it was valued. And the point is uh, one that as old as the hills, and you've heard it, be faithful. If you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much, Right? She was faithful in a little thing, and it was big enough for Jesus to point out. Uh, if you think about it, that, that lesson has uh, what person after person after person uh, will tell you here is that God will be faithful and you can't outgive him. And they have stories in their life of how that's been true and how that's, that's proven to be true. And the reality is that most of us here this morning started out with very little. Okay? Go back to when you first were married and think about what you had. You, we didn't have much, right? Scraping by by the skin of our teeth. But we've seen the faithfulness of God multiply and our ability to prosper and by extension to give more generously to Him as the years have rolled by. And I want to add this caveat. Northview, you have been unbelievably obedient and generous in regards to the kingdom. Okay? I wish I had a bunch of us up here we could applaud you. Okay? It, is, it is really spectacular. Most churches have to preach to their church about being generous. There's these generosity campaigns. I don't even heard about them. And I've always thought, well, I don't have to do that because our church is already generous. Most churches have to earn and prod and cajole their people to motivate them to give. Right, We're at the year end if you give this. right, And it's underlined in black or red so you know it's really important. And right, They've got that down to a science. Most churches and other ministries and organizations had to send out all kinds of alerts about the dire need at the end of the year. Please, could you consider how to help us out, right? You, you get those and kind of stuff. Uh, we, we don't do that here. We've, and more importantly, we, we haven't ever had to do that here. You are spectacular in your generosity and faithfulness to the Lord in this area. I'm immensely proud of you. Let me look you in the eye and tell you that. I am immensely proud of you as I stand here this morning. Uh, it is a privilege to be your pastor and lead a group like you. And you might be sitting there this morning thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Well, let me just, just this year, let's just go through this year because it's so easy we, we forget what happened during the course of a year. Uh, this, just this year alone has been an amazing journey of faith. At one point, uh, we were $32,000 behind budget. Some of you noted that, right? You follow every week in the bulletin and you try, Steve, are we okay? And, you know, and, uh, and a lot of churches at that point, they just kind of pull in their wings and, and, and they stop, right? And, and you guys soared. It was an incredible year. Um, just this fall, we gave $6,000 to Ever Gospel Mission to enhance their men's ministry. $6,000 that they didn't have. We gave over $300,000 to a two-year campaign to pay off the loan for what is left of the building, uh, the build-out of this building, so that we could speed ahead the gospel. Said so that would really free up some things that God could do. Let's do that. And we have ended, if you looked at your bulletins this morning and noticed the little flap, 
Take a look right now in your bulletin. Pull it out. Yeah, that bulletin that you think you look at, yeah, the ones that Aunt Kathy and Betty hand out, you better look at them. Aunt Kathy and Betty handed them out to you. Pull out that little flap. What does it say? On that little flap, we ended the year in the black. We're not 32,000 behind, we're in the black. Is that incredible or spectacular or what? If that's not enough, we met our faith budget. It's incredible. And, and this is not something new. Nurfee, you've consistently done this for the last 15 years. Has it always been easy? No. Has it always been a faith? Yes. Have we always made it? Yes. It's just an unbelievable thing. Not only that, but the loan, which in October was, if you remember, was 266000 Remember that number? When we started the loan, said this is the capital campaign. Uh, two weeks after that, it was down to 224000 And as we sit here today, just two months later, it's down to 195000 we are under 200,000 in just less than two months. Give ourselves a hand. Give the Lord a hand. Give somebody a hand. All right? That is spectacular. You, you have no idea how outrageous that is. If I show these numbers to other pastors, they drop their jaw on the table. They're like, what? They can't believe it. I said, yeah, our people just do that stuff all the time. This doesn't even begin to mention the other Christian ministries that we support outside of this, for example, the yellow envelopes in the bulletin today, and that's for the, the, the benevolent fund, the family care offering that helps other people. And by the way, we forgot to mention it. We're so structurally great here. Um, but if you want to just put some in that offering, drop it in the, we'll put it towards that. But that doesn't even account for all the other Christian ministries you do outside to support this stuff. What am I saying? Just this. Here's what I'm saying. That the widow's might is mighty when it's placed in the hands of God. When you have a little and you give it to God and you faithfully follow that little, that little turns into much. And little groups become mighty movements because of faithfulness to God in things like a penny. Uh, I have a personal practice uh, that I don't want to tell you about, but I will. So uh, when I walk around the church, I find change. Okay? You people are sloppy with your change. (laughs) I find it under the chairs. I find it in the parking lot. I find it upstairs. I find it in the most bizarre places like the bathroom and uh, name it. But I find dimes or pennies or, and I have made it a personal practice that whenever I find anything like that, I will pick it up. I'll march upstairs. I'll go into Diana's office. I'll put it on her desk and say, throw that into the fund. It's a penny. Yeah, but it's God's penny. Okay? And what does that represent? It's God's church, not Steve's church. Okay? That's his penny, not my penny. And I'll give God his penny, and he can give me what's mine, and I'll bet you we'll do pretty well in the exchange. Okay? Faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in much. In Northview, your faithfulness has been duly noted by the Lord. Trust me, he sees it. He sees the sacrifice. He knows what you've stepped into. He knows what you've bought and into. He knows that you trust him. Uh, There's a verse in uh, Psalms 37. uh, In in my personal humble opinion, which means absolutely nothing, they boogered this verse all up. All right? So I just want you to know that. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, and befriend faithfulness. Okay? Uh, That is not the right translation. The right translation is in the NASB because they had it right. 
back in the day. Trust in the Lord, do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. And the idea, if you come from a farming background, one of the things you know is it takes time to cultivate. Right? You first have to work the land in the spring to get it done, and then you have to work the land when it comes to keeping the weeds out so that it will produce the best harvest. Cultivate. What's it saying here we should cultivate? Cultivate faithfulness or befriend faithfulness. In other words, make faithfulness our companion. Our, and you guys have. Right? As we go into 220, will it be a cakewalk? No. Do we have any idea what 2020 is going to bring? No. Did we have any idea what would happen in 2019? No. Okay. Could some wonderfully great stuff happen in 2020? Absolutely. This could be the year, the year that the Lord kicks open a revival. That's my great hope. Okay. Will there be some hard, some difficult, some tragic things? We live in a very broken world. The answer is yes. Was it a painful year last year? Yes. Will it be a painful year this year? Yes. Okay. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be faithful or have faith. Uh, here's how I look at pain. Okay? Some of you wrestle with, if, if, why doesn't God take away the pain? Well, think about it. When you walk with God, is it painful? Yes, it is. Right? You ever have God ask you to do something you didn't want to do? Right? Yeah. Right? And I'm looking at somebody going, yeah, you recognize it all too well, right? I don't want not. <laughs> right? But you've got to do it, and it's painful to do it, but it turns out to be something Really, really good. So you have pain if you walk with the Lord. Okay? Uh, if nothing else, you have pain of watching other people who aren't walking with the Lord. You have pain for them. Right? So you don't get out of it either way. If you don't walk with the Lord, do you have pain? Yeah. Right? Very painful. Okay? So the point isn't pain, because either way you go, you're going to experience pain. The point is, which way is it redemptive? And the Bible says it's redemptive in faithfulness. If we stay faithful to the Lord, so we need to stay as faithful to the Lord in this coming year as we've been all the years past. It doesn't mean now that it's 2020, we can take a vacation from faithfulness. Let's take a break this year. We'll not be faithful. No, 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 no. We need to lean in. You've heard that phrase from me? Lean in. This is a great year to seek the face of the Lord, to be in relationship with Him. And like this widow, to be faithful with the things he's asked us to be faithful with. And that's what communion is going to draw us to. When Jesus was giving the disciples communion, he knew at that point he was all in. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He had told them, they just weren't listening. But he was all in. And what Jesus is looking for in 2020 is a group of people who will be all in for him. All in. All the cards on the table. All the eggs in the basket. Nothing tucked in the back pocket back here. Yep, we're scooting across. We're doing good, right? Hey, yeah. No, no, none of that stuff. All in with him as he's all in with us. Have we put all the cards on the table? Have we put all the eggs in the basket? That's what God's looking for. He's looking for someone who comes with him with the heart. Because that's how he came at us. How do we know that? Because he demonstrated it. Jesus never asked anything from us that he hasn't first done himself. If you're afraid to give him all your heart, know that he gave you all his long before you did. And he demonstrated, he said, this will be a symbol for ages and ages to come. It'll always remind people of what it cost me to be all in. 
He says, take this and eat this in memory of me. Then he took the cup. He said, this is a symbol of my blood. You know, blood, we, blood is, the life is in the blood. Right? We tend to, when we think of preserving our blood, we think of preserving our life. There's almost no instinct more powerful than the preservation of life. Jesus says, I've shed mine for the forgiveness of your sin. Will you be all in for me? Drink this in memory of me. Ask the worship team to come up, but let's pray this morning. I don't know on what level God spoke, but I believe he's spoken. So let's take that and give it to him. Lord, we humble ourselves before you this morning and lift up the inside of the cup to you for your examination. There are probably some things that have to be added. There are probably some things that have to go bye-bye. Bring conviction on those things. Help us. May we be faithful in little things in the year to come. May we hold you high as Lord and Christ. May we be a surrendered people, all the eggs in the basket. May we be a people leaning in, not out. And may we be a people that trust your read on things instead of our own read. We give this to you with great hope and ask this in your name. Amen.